called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got. Make this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? No. Football is back. The Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast is back. Jay Hicks is back. Once again, today is Friday, September 8th of 2023. We are actually one game into the 2023 NFL season. And uh, it was an interesting game last night. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but I want to first bring on our special guest for this afternoon. Um, of course, you already know where you can find Hip Hop Sports Report. We're on, I, I always say Twitter. I guess it's X now. We're on X. I like Twitter better because I've, I've, it's been Twitter for 10 years. It's still Twitter to me. We're on Twitter, twitter.com or x.com slash HHS Report. We're on Facebook. Uh, you know where to find us uh, on, on uh, you know Google Play or or wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, chances are you can find us. You can Google us. You can just go to hiphopsportsupport.com. That would be my preference. Give us a rating. It's a like and subscribe. All that fun stuff. Y'all know the drill. But I want to bring in my guest. Settle in. Because this is going to be one of the lengthier introductions I've ever done of a guest. So <laughs> I, I, I hope. Are you ready? I, I, ho- I hope you're ready. All right. Oh, here man. we go. This gentleman that's joining the podcast today is a first time guest of the Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast, the preseason podcast of the year. He is an award-winning and Emmy-nominated journalist, TV host, podcast, media critic, and columnist. He is currently the host on CW26's On the Block in Chicago. His work has been featured on CW26, also on WBEZ Chicago, which is an NPR affiliate, WGN Radio, WVON, Ebony Magazine, Medium, Revolt, and the Chicago Sun-Times. This brother was named one of the 40 uh, Chicagoans changing the game under 40. He is the president of the National Association of Black Journalists in Chicago chapter, and he serves as an adjunct professor at the Columbia College of Chicago. He has covered the National Basketball Association, the National Football League, the PGA, the Indy 500, the 2012 Olympic Games in London, and three presidential elections. And check this, y'all. He has interviewed the likes of... Michael B. Jordan, Keanu Reeves, Jonathan Majors, Mayor Brandon Johnson of Chicago, Nelly, Vic Mensa, Candace Parker, Chris Rock, Anthony Mackie, Boris Kojo, Lorenz Tate, Keegan-Michael Key, Anthony Anderson, Tay Diggs, Blair Underwood, Laverne Cox, Lena Waithe, and Lloyd, just to name a few. <laughs> Please welcome to the preseason podcast of the year, a proud Ball State University alum, Brandon Pope. B. Pope, what's good? What's good, fam? What an introduction. You know, I, I forgot I interviewed all those people. You gave me a nice little run through there. I'm just <laughs> saying, man. Pat yourself on the back, dog. Because, I mean, check it out. You're like barely 30 years old, I think. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that's 31. 31 years old, man. You've accomplished a lot in 31 years, man. So, you should be very proud. But, I mean, that's dope, man. And so, Brandon is here, avid sports fan, avid music 
uh, head and, and hip hop head and, and critic. And, um, you know, it's nice to get some fresh perspective on the podcast from time to time. So every once in a while, your boy Jay Hicks got to go in his bag, you know what I'm saying? And, and pull out a special guest. And so I wanted to bring you on the podcast, Brandon. This is, we were just talking about it off, off, uh, recording that this is long overdue, man. But do you remember, um, where we first met? Sheesh. <laughs> I don't, bro. We're going back what, like about 10. This, so we're going back a long we, time. Yeah, we're going back about 10 or 12 years. So um, we were at the gym at Ball State. So we're both Ball State yeah. alums. You, I believe, were an undergrad. I was in grad school. And I had on a Cleveland Browns hat. And you stopped me in the gym. And we got to chopping it up. And that's how we met. Pound for pound, orange and brown. You already know. There we go. Here we go, brownies. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the last time we stood in a room together? Uh, Hot Sauce Williams. <laughs> on Carnegie. <laughs> Hot Sauce Williams uh-huh. on Carnegie in Cleveland. The day of that the was great. Cavaliers championship the Cavaliers parade. parade. Yeah, Absolutely. man. What a time. <laughs> what a time to be alive. You know what's funny about that is that we, I was talking about my family a little bit before um, we came on the air, man. I, I, my son at the time was six months old, my oldest son. He's now seven years old, uh, about to be eight. In a couple of months, he's in the second grade. He was six months years old at the parade, though. So that was wow. one of my coolest uh, moments as a sports fan. Was uh, I, I didn't get to watch Game Seven of the of the 2016 Finals with my dad growing up in Cleveland. You know what I'm saying? I was a Cavs fan. He was a Cavs fan. He, although he's originally from West Virginia, but he spent most of his life in Cleveland. I didn't get to watch him with him, so I regret that. But I did get to hold my son, who was six months old at the time the night that we won the championship. So that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I took him with me to the parade. And then I bumped into you on a humble, just, you know, branding me in the streets, y'all. I'm just saying. Like, he's, <laughs> this is not a game out here. He, Man, he, be, he be in the streets with it. That parade was one of the greatest moments in my life and also one of the most excruciating and annoying days of my life. Because, Man. Want- <laughs> Bro, Cleveland, so we really didn't we really did not know how to do a parade. So we got in there <laughs> just for anybody listening who wasn't there. Uh, they told people to come downtown at like 9 a.m. The parade, I don't think, started till 1 p.m. And it was and, and it was like 85 degrees out and it was a million people in tiny downtown Cleveland. And so it just huddled masses all over the place. Cars couldn't even get down the street because there was so many people flooded into the street. Um, it was, I mean, like we had been there for like nine hours. They just got to the to the mall area where they actually had the, the stage set up and all that. And we had to get up out of there. We were like, all right, we, we saw what we came to see. Let's go ahead and roll out. And uh, I mean, just the lines at the bus stop were insane. You know, the airports was jammed up. Everything was crazy. And you know, this, the, the streets kept filling up so much. And so many people were packed downtown that they had to keep stopping the parade because people kept spilling into the street. It's right. kind of handle the amount of people. Like, it's stopping and starting, stopping and starting. The heat was crazy. I had a whole bottle of Hennessy in my system. Like, it, it was it was a lot, bro. It was a lot. <laughs> I never want to do that again, even though I enjoyed being around my people. Oh, and so that Hot Sauce Williams trip was just me trying to get sustenance. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yeah. some sort of some sort of just protein and a favorite spot growing up. No, it, I, I hear it's closed now, right? It's not no longer. There. I, you know what? I, you know what? So it's been a while since I lived in Cleveland, man. Uh, I was just there in June. That was I typically make it back once or twice a year, mm-hmm. but uh, I, in June I was there. I did not see a hot sauce Williams, and I was there. I, I used to go to the one over on uh, Lee Road across from Heights High School all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that was Whitmore's. My bad. That was Whitmore's hot sauce Williams. They had one on Carnegie. Carnegie. There was one. There, what was the other one? I don't know. The point, all that stuff is closed. That's the point. Is that yeah. like I didn't see none of these restaurants. So I think there's, you know, there's definitely a restaurant scene, you know, if you're into that type of cuisine in in Cleveland, but it's just not the ones that we was used to. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of those places have gone by the wayside. Yeah, definitely. It's unfortunate. But that that's kind of what happens everywhere. That's a story for right. a lot of people in their hometowns, right. right? Things change. So are you from Cleveland originally? Yeah, I was born there originally. Um lived there for what, probably four or five years of my life, moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then moved to the Indiana, Ohio border in Richmond, Indiana. So my whole life has been Ohio. It's been Indiana. It's been the Midwest. Um, I went to school in Indiana, went to my first job in TV in Indiana, came to Chicago for my next job. So I've been a Midwest guy my entire life, Ohio at the center of it. Um, my dad's an Ohio dude, uh, rest in peace to him. And so in honor of him, like I've just always rocked with that and just being with the Browns and the Cavs and, uh, the Indians slash guardians. And, um, you know, just, just proud. And obviously to Ohio state, the Ohio state Buckeyes ride or die, probably more passionate about them than anything. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it's home. Ohio is home. Ohio is heart. Ohio is great people. Um, and I just got lots of pride and, and, and tremendous love for that area and the memories I made there. Well said, man. And so our journey is similar in that regard. You know, every people who listen to this probably know that I'm from Cleveland, originally born and raised, uh, went to Bowling Green State University for undergrad. So I was in Northwest, went from Northeast to Northwest Ohio, went back to Cleveland, went to grad school at Ball State where we crossed paths first, the first time. Then went back to Cleveland, uh, then came out to Illinois, lived in Norma, Illinois for 10 years. And then I just moved to Chicago, made the big move to the big city in June. So um, I live now in the northern suburbs of Chicago, to be more specific. So I think this is the second podcast, I think, I've taped since then. So we got to get you on a podcast in person because you two are in Chicago now. Is that right? Sure you've been You've been here since, what, 2017? Is that right? Yeah, seven years. Man, it goes quick, man. Uh Tell me, I'm curious to learn, um, you know, a little bit how you got into your line of work and in, in media, you know, when you kind of realized that this was the lane that you wanted to be in. And you've done, as I said in the open, so much. I mean, we're talking we're talking sports. We're talking politics. We're talking just, uh, you know, basic news reporting, print, like uh, TV, podcasting, radio, like you've. Your your breadth of experience runs the gamut. So how did you know that this was the lane that you wanted to be in? And, and what was what do you feel was like your big break in this field? Well, you know, I was never great at playing sports. I tried. I played uh, football in high more school. More similarities between you and I. More similarities. <laughs> yeah. But I always loved sports. Right. And I wanted to be a part of them. I knew I wasn't going to be a pro at it. Right. Um, so we had programs in high school where I could do broadcasting, like play-by-play for basketball, play-by-play for some football, stuff like that. Um, and I was able to do that. Um, and turned out I was able to hone my craft. I studied it and I loved, I loved it because I love, I love watching sports 
and why not talk about sports while you're watching it, right? Um, I was inspired by guys like Stuart Scott, um, you know, and, and the way he was able to bring his authentic black self to Sports Center. Um, John Saunders, who was a great sports reporter, people like that. Um, and so I just knew that I wanted to be in sports media. Sports Center was the goal for sure. Um, I was also doing a lot of like music videos with friends, goofing off, stuff like that. You know, when Lil Wayne dropped something, we'd make a little video of it with a bedrock video. We recreated it, you know, run the gamut. <laughs> I get to I, I, I get to college visits. Um, I was still thinking about maybe playing football collegiately. It really wasn't a thing. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Um, Ball State gave me kind of a preferred walk-on type of look, but it wasn't like anything special. But really, their journalism program stood out to me. Um, their media program. I was told it was journalism when I went to go do the tour. Um, I leaned on that. I got accepted to many places, but Ball State, they weren't having it. I was on the wait list for them for a long time. Really? So I got to a point, I started to think, I'm probably not going to be able to go to the college that I'm dead set on going to. Um, and it got to the final day, decision day, and I got a letter in the mail saying you're accepted. So um, went to Ball State. From there, realized, you know what, there's more to storytelling than just sports. Um you know, I want to tell cool stories overall about black people, about people of color, just about cool things going on. Um, and so I became the first freshman anchor of the student broadcast there at Ball State University. Um, honed my craft, did some great internships and experiences, and eventually got my first job in South Bend, Indiana, covering sports and covering news, covering college football, which I am very passionate about. So that was a dream. Notre Dame, very heavy in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I don't like Notre Dame. Grew up hating Notre Dame. But, you know, having to cover them, you got you to gotta change your tune a little bit. Um, and I've grown a, what do I call it? appreciation for the Notre Dame culture and what they mean to college football while still having an animus toward a lot of things about them. Um, but it allowed me the opportunity to check out these dream environments, bro, Florida State, Clemson, um, USC, Oklahoma. Like, I got to go to some really iconic locations in college that's, football. That's so fire, bro. That's so fire. Yeah. Like, like, I know that. I mean, people will tell you, like, if you, especially if you go to any of those places in the South, and especially if you go on a Saturday night primetime game, it's nothing like it. Bruh. Florida State gave me chills. It was a primetime game, night game. Tallahassee, beautiful city. And man, when they do that tomahawk chop, oh, oh, oh. woo, and it's just all those fans. And then you have the, the guy come through with that, that flaming spear. He rushed right past me. I'm on the sideline and I feel the heat coming off of it. Like, oh, man. how can you not be hyped, right? Um, you know, running down the hill at Clemson, I've done that. Uh, University of Texas, their amazing stadium for a primetime double overtime game. Like, I got a chance to check out a lot of great stuff and be a part of some really cool college football moments. And so I'm very thankful for that. After that, covering sports and news in South Bend, I came to Chicago, become part of a morning show called The Jam, mostly cover entertainment and news. Um, the pandemic happens. The show gets canceled, but fortunately, uh, my station wanted to keep me around. Um, we found some roles for me and I'm still able to do my entertainment thing, but also really focus on local news content here in Chicago as well. And also write for Ebony magazine and you work for WBEZ, the NPR station and have the freedom to, 
exercise my other passions. So I'm in a good spot. I'm very happy with it. I've worked my ass off for it for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely not done, definitely not finished. Right. But, uh, it's been, it's been a good ride and I'm really thankful for it. That's great, man. It's, it's so refreshing to, to hear that. I know. So I'm not a lot older than you, but I got, I got, a, I got some years on you. I'm pushing 40 at this point, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's getting real out here. The hairline, holding <laughs> on to the hairline is becoming an issue for your boy. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, do Brandon what I do soon. Re- reveals his hat and and the and the freshly shaved we'll say we'll say shaved bald head uh on Brandon yeah. right now. But um but nah man, uh I I it's refreshing to hear somebody who kind of knows what they want to do and they just go for it right away. I know that when I was finished when I came out of um undergrad, so uh this was right during this was just before the uh the market collapsed and everybody stopped hiring you know what i mean so it was it was pretty it was pretty wild for a little bit and in that time frame when i was 24 25 all of my peers nobody knew what they wanted to do and nobody was working in their field either they were not they were working in a field that they didn't get their degree in they were just confused about what direction they wanted to head towards or they were unemployed like that yeah. was everybody you know what i'm saying and and i was in that space as well to a certain extent. And so to hear that you pinpointed what exactly you wanted to do early on, you threw everything behind it and you've made something happen early on in your career is a beautiful thing. And that you always have an eye towards giving back to others because we talked about your uh, work with the NABJ and uh, it's, 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 it's award-winning. I mean, I mean, this chapter is, is taken off and, you know, talk a little bit about, what that means to you and and your um desire to want to give back to other black people other black journalists and just young people in general who are trying to come up and aspire to get into a place like you're in now yeah man nabj the national association of black journalists um helped shape me helped provide opportunity for me when i was in college um i became the first president of the nabj chapter at ball state uh, we started up that chapter and the the mentors that I was able to gain from that, uh, you know, having people that look like you who have been through what you've been through, be able to shepherd you through and teach you and, and give you feedback and give you the real and tell you when you're not good and tell you when you are, you know, I, that's it's invaluable. Everybody needs something like that. And a lot of us don't have that. So NABJ provides that. And so as I've, it was never my plan to run anything NABJ wise post college, right? But, um, as I rose through the ranks, when I first got here to Chicago, I knew I wanted to be involved in NABJ Chicago. I knew the chapter was powerful. I knew it was important. I knew it was a, a legacy chapter, one of the founding chapters of NABJ, um, nationally. And so I, 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 I got immersed probably within the first few weeks I moved here, joined the board. And from there, became a board member, then became the VP, and then I ran for president. Um, and for me, what I, why do I do it is because it's, it's impact. I love being able to have impact on young people. I love mentorship. Um, I love being able to give back, raise money for scholarships, and see that smile on people's faces when they're able to have opportunity brought to them. So to me, it is. It's just about returning the favors that were done for me, um, you know, reach one, teach one, and I I wouldn't be anything without it. And if everybody can just 
think about what they went through and who was there for them and find ways they can give back in some way, we'd have a better world. So I'm just all about trying to give back where I can. NABJ is the way to do that. And it's also the way that we just, as black journalists and black media people, stay afloat. We're a support system. We're a family. Without NABJ, I'm not sure I'm still doing this because you're going to have rough days in media and you got to have some people to bounce off of through all the microaggressions and all the BS and all the racism and all the self-doubt and questioning and things like that. You got to have people on your side. So that's what NABJ did for me. And so now that I'm president of the Chicago chapter, um, we've done some great impact work. We became the chapter of the year um, in 2022. Um, we just lost that title to, to D.C. as their new chapter of the year. But uh, we had a great run as that chapter of the year. We've raised um, over fifty thousand dollars for student scholarships, um, already awarded ten thousand. We're going to reward twenty thousand this year. Um, we've brought on the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the, the Bears, um, the White Sox, so many great sports partnerships to help us out. Um, and help the future of black journalism, right? So I'm very proud of that. I'm re- we're going to keep the work going for sure. We're going to keep pushing. Um, but yeah, it's all about impact, bro. That's what it's all about. You said something earlier, and and really quickly. I mean, your your impact doesn't stop there because I believe you you do work with like Big Brothers Big Sisters. I believe is that correct? And uh, and yeah, I, Girls I, Club. I, I, I was a, that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just that. Like, so I don't want to minimize your impact because you're doing a lot of great things on a lot of different levels. But I wanted to ask you, I think I may have mentioned this earlier. Was was there one moment that you really feel like was like your your biggest break that when you kind of made it, you feel like you made it or maybe you don't feel like you've made it yet? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I made it. Um, I really don't. Um, But I guess a moment where I realized, yo, this is really working. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm accelerating, I guess. Oof. Probably, man, this is actually tough. I, you know what? It was the first time I did, I did a set visit. I did a set visit. Um, well, no, it may have been, <laughs> see, this is tough. Okay. It, it's really tough. Cause I've, I'm realizing I had a lot of great experiences. Um, you ain't gotta be humble here, man. Okay. You ain't, got, you ain't gotta be humble here. I think for me, the first one was Florida state being okay. at Florida state yeah, and being part of the media landscape of that and covering that primetime game and college game day and all that type of stuff. I, I sat back after that a long day, got done at four o'clock in the morning and I was like, damn, I really mm. just did something I've been dreaming of. Right. So that was the first moment I was like, all right. And the second moment, probably my first ever set visit for like a TV show or movie. Um, I did the set for all American, uh, the show on the CW, um, got to get a tour with one of the cast members, interviewed some other cast members, you know, they flew me out, stayed in LA, all that type of stuff. And I was like, okay, that is a, that is a access Hollywood entertainment tonight type of thing that I just conquered. So those are probably the two biggest moments. Um, and yeah, those would be the big, but I, I still feel there's so much to be done. Um, Understood. You know what I mean? So it's tough to say big break because yeah. I don't even know if I broke yet, you know? You, you could have said the Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast. I wouldn't have blamed you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, bro, I'm happy to be on, man. This, there you this, go. This, 
It's great. We're going to get into the hip hop and sports part in a little bit, but there was something else that you said a minute ago that I wanted to touch upon. Uh, you, you referenced the word storytelling. Um, I think that yeah. that's, it's ubiquitous, right? It's a ubiquitous term these days, but, but there is at the same time, it's not an empty word. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, is it overused? Maybe, but is there value behind it? Absolutely. Um, what makes a good story to you? Oh man. Well, storytelling at its heart is about humanity. It's about unlocking humanity. It's about reaching human to human, um, and connecting, um, drawing out empathy, um, you know, educating, uh, in, in the process as well. So the best storytelling to me does those things. It makes that connection from the heart. Um, it pulls at strings. It makes things plain. It educates and informs. Um, but it has that heart. It has that gentleness. Um, and it has that human spirit. The best stories you're going to find all have that thorough line of, of humanity. You know, I think about Tom Rinaldi one of the greatest writers you're ever going to find in sports. He did this legendary, legendary piece that you may have heard of called the man in the red bandana. Um, it's about, um, Wells Carruthers, I believe is his name. Uh, he was a lacrosse player at a small, I think D three school. So you're like, why would ESPN cover this? Well, Wells Carruthers was a young man who was in the twin towers during nine 11 who many people who were in that tower who were saved by Wells remember this guy. They remember this guy who had a red bandana on trying to escort them out of the tower as it's coming down. And they never got to thank him because he died in that tower. And I think about that story. It's one of the most beautiful stories I've ever seen ESPN do. I've ever seen Tom Rinaldi do just I've ever seen period. Because we all remember 9-11. We all remember the fear, the paranoia. And I can only imagine the fear and paranoia that was happening inside that building. And what Tom Rinaldi was able to do was emphasize that. Also tell a nice human story about this underdog, this guy who many people didn't pay attention to, slept on, right? And he became such a hero, in one of the most devastating moments for our country. And no one probably will ever hear this guy, right? Mm -hmm. They know him as the man in the red bandana stories like that, man, that is what I'm talking about. That right there says to me, yo, every one of us has potential to do something great and to be there for people in a way that's bigger than ourselves. That's what a good story does. And so that's what I'm, I'm passionate about doing stuff like that, man. Storytelling to liberate storytelling, to empower storytelling, to connect that's what good stories do. Uh, I'd give you a standing ovation if you wasn't on the podcast, man. That was uh, <laughs> so eloquently said. You know, that was a wonderful <laughs> soliloquy just now. Um, so let me let me wrap let me wrap up the personal side of our conversation with this. Then, do you have like a a, a white whale interview? Somebody that that is on your list? Like, man, if I could just interview that one person, and then also. Give us, give us like a, uh, take us, you know, behind the curtain of like, uh, an interview that you've done. S somebody that surprised you in some way or somebody that, you know, we've all heard of, but it's like, man, I didn't know that such and such was like that or somebody who just hit you with something that you didn't see coming. So, you know, the one surprising interview that you've done, 
and and what and what was the anecdote from that and then also what's the one interview that you haven't done that you'd still love the opportunity to do yeah the surprising one i i'm never really surprised anymore because i feel like <laughs> that's, that's somebody that got some scars <laughs> on them <laughs> because i feel like most celebrities overall are cooler and more chill than people would expect. And many times they are just introverted extroverts, people that don't really love the spotlight. A lot of them don't love the spotlight. You'd be surprised how many don't. They don't really want to do the press tours. They don't really want to do interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to really talk to them as people, you get to see how cool they really are. I think that someone that left an impression on me, I got to go recent. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is such a great dude. <laughs> like, and I, I had no reason to believe he wouldn't be. Right. But he's such a megastar, right? So you never really know what you're going to walk into. But man, from the moment I walked in there into this room with him, you know, he looked you in the eye. He respected you. Yeah. He asked your name and and, you know, how are you? You know, where are you from? All this type of stuff. And you were able to, you felt like you could just ask him anything. And he would be given an honest answer. And that's kind of what happened. Like, I asked him about the spotlight. And he's just like, ah, it makes me kind of nervous. <laughs> he's like, I don't really, I don't really like the attention. <laughs> yeah. He, he, yeah. And, and it kind of, it kind of tracks. Keanu Reeves is not out here. You know, he no. ain't out. He ain't no, at the Met game. Right. He, you know, he's, he's a pretty secluded dude. He's not on social media. I know Keanu Reeves Instagram, right? So, you know, you get a sense of that. You get a window into people. That's really cool. So I guess that'd be one that was surprising. Um, the white whale, man. Uh, big one. I would, l- <sighs> these, these are all going to sound cheesy and generic, but it's the truth. I love to chop it up with Jay-Z. Just like, like a good, even if I got just 15 minutes, just to chop yeah. it up with Jay-Z would be amazing. <laughs> Barack Obama, just a real talk interview with him would be amazing. I would really enjoy that. Um, Howard Stern, believe it or not. I think Howard Stern is... Oh, I believe it. I, I believe it. That dude is a giant in the game. Yeah. Uh, they don't come much bigger than Howard Stern when it comes to talking behind a microphone. Underrated interviewee, too. He's a really good interviewer of people. Um, he makes people feel comfortable and relaxed. Absolutely. I just love to just kind of like pick his brain on how he does it. You know, um, those would be the big ones. And I think, I think what's missing in today's landscape, I would love to be the one that has the Beyonce interview where we actually get a full on Beyonce. She doesn't do interviews, but if she like were to just sit down for a 30 minute special and we could just talk. Yeah. I would love to be able to talk to Beyonce or even Kendrick just about their artistry, their process, what they do, their perspective on all these things we got going on today. I think we could have some fascinating conversations. That's always what I strive for is just fascinating conversations. One more that I would really love. (laughs) These coaches, man, either Nick Saban or Deion Sanders. I would love to talk to either of those guys. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're getting ahead of me yeah. a little bit because I was going to ask you about Dion. You're getting, oh boy, you're getting ahead Let's of me. Let's talk Dion. Yeah. Well, well, I'm gonna come back to Dion in a little bit. I'm gonna come back to him in a little bit because uh, we talk about people who enjoy the spotlight. Uh, yeah. Dion Sanders, no stranger to the spotlight. But I wanted to to pivot 
a little bit and talk some hip hop with you. I know that um, 50 year celebration of hip hop, right? 50 year birthday celebration anniversary whatever you want to call it of the creation of hip-hop and hip-hop culture and all that that encompasses uh this year so we've seen celebrations happening periodically throughout the year there was a big one at yankee stadium not long ago are you encouraged about what you're seeing in the game right now from a speaking strictly on rap music uh are, are you are you feeling like we're in a good space are you are you not feeling it right now um and i will point out that as you said at 31 Stuff starts to change in the music landscape for each individual. At least that's what I found. Because you're at a point now where you're young for music, but you're not going to be young for long. Like, like, because Dame Dash once said music is for young people. And I kind of scoffed at it when he said that. And then the more I gave it thought and then the older I got, I was like, you know what? I think he's on to something, you know, because mm. it's it ain't it ain't what it you know what <laughs> music at 30 and music at 40 is not the same you don't view it the same way so i'll shut up but i want to hear what you have to say about where where the rap game is in your opinion man what a challenging question because it's almost hypocritical when i say it i don't think we're in a good place in rap however i listen to almost all of it <laughs> like just just as a as a student of the game, yeah, I don't think that makes fan, you a hypocrite at all, though. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. Yeah. As a fan of the craft, and there's songs from artists who I don't think are great that I enjoy. I work out to them. Um, you know, it, it's I got I got Playboy Cardi on my on my hip hop playlist and my gym playlist. I've got um, Trippy Red. I've got Juice World. I've got a lot of these new cats, right? Mm-hmm. Uzi, a lot of little Uzi Vert, Twenty One, all that. I think that what's missing today, the people who are running the rap game, the ones who are the top MCs, the best of the best, are still the ones who are the best of the best from the 2000s era. You're reading my mind right now. You're reading my mind right now, but continue. Jay-Z, Nas, Kendrick, those guys, they drop something, world stops. Everybody wants to hear it. Uh, J. Cole, even. Um, but those are Wale. But those are guys I listened to in middle school. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Like, right. You know, and and but they're the ones who are still. No one has. No one from the new school has risen up yet. Aside from Kendrick, I guess you could call him new school. But he's not that new. Has risen up and taken the reins, or right. said, "Hey, I belong in here." Right. And I think that's what's missing right now because every generation of hip hop has had someone come up and say, Hey, it's my turn. And no one yet has done that. I don't think maybe, maybe Tyler, the creator. I love what Tyler does. Love his creativity. I love 21, love his creativity, love his flow. Um, I like Larry June. I like a lot of these guys. There's talent out here. No doubt about it. Right. Even, uh, Corday, I think Corday is a really un- he's talented. He's a talented. MC. He's a talented young dude. Very talented, but what ends up happening is the music that's more of like the sing song melody stuff, the Drake stuff, is what hits the charts. It's what people promote the most, um, and so I don't think rap's in a good shape right now. Um, I don't want to get on here and Drake bash. Because once again, there's there's Drake songs I like. Drake has made some classic albums, 
hasn't made one in a while, but he's made some classic albums and he's made a lot of hits. Um, and he still makes hits, but at some point I need something deep, a little deeper from Drake. Absolutely. You can't rap, you can't rap about being a bad boyfriend once you're 38 years old. Like it, once you've been doing that for 20 years, it's like, all right, get a new stick. Jay-Z matured. <laughs> Nas matured. You know, Lil Wayne even. Lil Wayne started to mature a little bit in his raps. Like, I want to see some growth. Yeah. And I don't think Drake has any. He's still going to make some hits. But then everything else just feels soulless to me. I, uh, Man, I agree with just about everything you said. I think the the soullessness of Drake's music. So so you, you raise an interesting point, right? So I, I agree with what you said about uh, the, the Drake, Cole, Kendrick era. That era kind of took the baton, I guess you could say, from Wayne in the early part of the last decade. So 2010, 2012. Right. And they had that baton for a good eight to 10 years now. But it's time for them to relinquish it or at least like usher in other MCs. You know, they're still making music, but we need some other MCs to come in and, and, and take the bull by the horns. If Drake is the top artist in the game presently and his music is soulless, what does that say about the genre? What does that say about fandom? What is the, uh, you know, in yeah. our consumption of the music, what does that say about what it is that these media companies are putting out to us? What are they putting on the radio? You know, what are our DJs playing in the clubs? Not that I've been in the club recently because I haven't, but you know, uh, <laughs> you know, that those are things that you have to consider, but I think there's a real issue when, Drake is the top dog right now. I think I don't think anybody would refute that. I mean, Jay Z's basically retired at this point. As far as I'm concerned, Jay Z's retired. The the first song off his last album is called "Kill Jay Z." Jay Z's mm-hmm. done. I don't think he's coming back to produce any full length albums anytime soon. Uh, Nas, on the other hand, we still see him making music, and he's making some great music. Uh, you know, he found himself a producer that he can really vibe with, and and he's put out him six albums. Boy. Yeah. Him and Hit Boy have put out like six albums in the last three years. The last piece that I wrote for Hip Hop Sports Report talked about how Nas is kind of enhancing his argument to be the GOAT because of what you said. He's evolved and he's taken what was just him rapping on some street corner stuff, you know what I mean, back in the 90s. <laughs> and he's taking that all the way through having children, getting married, getting divorced, and now being a, a more of a entrepreneur these days. And and still coming back for the love of the the rap game and just the the artistry of it, like you talked about before, that I think is what's making Nas's case stronger because he's out here with these young boys and he's wrapping circles around these kids, and he's fifty, you know, he's as old as hip hop, you know. You know the, the thing about Nas for the longest has been for me, he's always been trying to prove he can rap on anything, and because of that, the production just been like, bruh. Uh, come on. <laughs> and so he just makes some some terrible songs, but he Question, there's no doubt. questionable beat selections over the years. Every every single song though, he can rap. We already know it. We know it now as we can rap. But where is the production? Where is the, the beats? Come on. And so Hit Boy, that marriage has been perfect. Right. Perfect, man. The well, King's Disease run is yeah. great. Yeah. And the Magic man. Two one is one of the best albums of this year. And so yeah. what what my thing was that Hit Boy inspired Nas. That was the purpose of the the piece that I wrote, was that Nas is now inspired. So what we're seeing is one of the all-time great MCs who never lost his ability to put words together, and now he's 
rapping inspired. It's it's as if you're a, a, a veteran athlete that has been on, you know, you've been on some middling teams and you've put together some all-star campaigns and maybe a couple MVP runs, but you never had your big break. And, and you know, the organization was bringing you down. Like Kevin Garnett on the 08 Celtics, you know what I'm saying? He gets traded from Minnesota. Yeah. He's been putting up numbers for years. He goes to a situation that's better than the situation he came from. He looks around the room and says, okay, I got some boys that can run with me now. And then you see... Yeah. Uh, elevated Kevin Garnett. Not that Kevin Garnett was ever low on intensity, but you see an elevated version of the big ticket in Boston and what happens, it results in the championship. And I feel like you're seeing something similar to that with Nas, but to your earlier point, I'm not, tr- I don't trust Lil Baby with the baton. I don't trust the baby or, you know, or, uh, NBA <laughs> young boy, any of these dudes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I hear some songs here and there, you know, you know, I, I hear some stuff from Moneybag Yo I like from time to time, but like most of these young cats, like I don't, the, the lyrics definitely aren't there in most cases. You know what I mean? And just the overall value of the music, it's, it's, it's lacking. And another thing I wanted to bring up to you and get your take on was the place of, of ladies in hip hop right now. I feel like they're, presence is stronger than I ever remember it being. I mean, there's always been yeah. female MCs, but the, it, it used for the long time. It was like, you get one, you get one female MC. And so mm-hmm. those, those women would often feel an obligation, I think, to compete with one another directly in a, in a way that was even not even so much like, you know, we saw hip hop in the nineties. You had whole entire regions of the country competing with one another, but there was always room for different rappers from different areas and things like that. But with women, it was like, no, you get one female MC at a moment. And then if you want to be the next female MC of the moment, you got to knock that other female MC off her perch. And now you open it up. You got, you got, you know, Cardi B, you got Meg the Stallion, you got City Girls, you got Big Lotto, you got Nicki Minaj, you got, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Corey LeRae, you got Saweetie, you got yeah. Gloria Hallelujah, you got Doja Cat, mm-hmm. you got, Iggy Azalea, Ice Spice is famous for some reason. Sexy Red blew up off one of the most horrific songs I've ever heard in my life. And it's yeah. like... You got No Name. Yeah, you got, yeah. And so, you got a lot. And so the, the good news is that, hey, there's a lot of women now that have a seat at the table, and they're getting a lot of run on the radio and things like that. The bad news, Brandon, is the music. Like, what is it? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what these women are doing with this position right now. And... And I don't want to be a hypocrite either because we've seen a lot of male rappers for a lot of years rap about the same stuff, dealing drugs, murder, using drugs, hitting chicks. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it was. And so that never, those four things never really got boring to me, even if I couldn't necessarily relate to them directly. So I want to preface what I'm about to say with that. However, Every woman, every, all these female rappers just feel like glorified porn stars with record deals. And it's just like, how, what are we, what are we doing with that? Like there's an, like there's enough talent and enough of a landscape that these women can do more with it, but they're not. And I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know if it's their fault. I don't know if it's us as a consumer audience. Like we're, th- we're gravitating to this ratchet music. So it's our fault. Like, or is it, they're just only making ratchet music and they don't know how to make anything else of substance. But it's like every female rapper that comes out, all they do is twerk and slap themselves on the ass and 
slapped their twerking friends on the ass in the videos. Like, that's it. Like, and it's just like, is that it? Like, is that all you have? Because when I see headlines, Brandon, that say hip hop doesn't have a, a top charting single on the Billboard Hot 100 all year. This is like the preeminent genre of music in America today. And there is not one rap song that's been number one all year on the Billboard Hot 100. Only two, I think, rap albums have hit number one on the Billboard 200. And that was just happened over the summer, I believe. So, like, where are we? You know, when we ask these questions, where are we headed as a genre? And I'm looking at these women that have a seat at the table that they haven't had before. And all they're doing with it is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's all just sexual stuff and 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 Birkin bags talk like yeah here, so what I mean what 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 am I missing here am I right am I wrong what am I not seeing so it's a it's a double-edged sword in a sense because I I hear you and I'm with you one women run again women are running the game women MCs run the game of hip-hop right now I think we should we, we should just say it look at what just happened today this week with Bongos, the song by Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion. Beat goes hard. Video probably might set records. Everybody going crazy for it, right? Um, also, culture has shifted to where, you know, hip-hop is now pushed forward into appealing to the women consumer now as well. So, you know, there's always party music. There's always a history of that. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think that a lot of these women play into that for sure. Um Sure, the music, not a lot of these women are that talented. I think the best MCs right now, the ones that you mentioned by far, are Doja Cat. Doja Cat can spit. If I can get a Doja Cat Kendrick Lamar song, I bet that stuff would be lit. Hmm. Uh, Lotto. And then, like, No Name, Tierra Whack, you know, still Rhapsody. Rhapsody, Absolutely. You know, there's there's still these people who they make good stuff. Lil I Sims. Lil Sims. I think Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion both have really good skill rapping technically in different ways. Meg Thee Stallion, more of the Southern hip hop tradition, very much like UGK. Cardi B, just a lot more just hitting, you know, like think of like Bodak Yellow. How just like how it just like just hits you in the mouth with it, right? Or just even her mixtape stuff, looking like I caught a lick. Like these women have the skill and know how to make some really good rhymes and good beats, and they can they can deliver. They got the flow. My frustration is your frustration. What I like to see is more depth. Like Meg The Stallion, what I want from Meg The Stallion more than anything, because I believe she's a great rapper is for her to actually give me a song of substance is to actually give me an album of substance. That way we can have a discussion about her being up there in the top MC discussion with a Kendrick or with, with, with a J Cole or stuff like that. Right. That's what I want to see. The problem is the consumer does not want that. People do not support women MCs rapping real stuff. What they're supporting right now is the twerk music. And so you got to do what's going to make money and what's going to sell tours. And unfortunately, the system we're in right now, the substance is not going to win out 
or at least for the women MCs. I don't know if it wins out for anybody anymore, honestly. Well, but, yeah, you, you make a good point. Know. I mean, I mean, Hove rapped about this years ago. You know, truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil. I ain't been rapping like common sense. Exactly. You know I mean? this, is, this is a this is an age old issue with hip hop. Like this, this is not yeah. new stuff. Um, what you're talking about, but yeah, I, and and to be honest with you, man, I don't. You know, a, a in depth, uh, introspective Meg the Stallion album. I don't think we're gonna see it. Like kind of like you know, like you were saying, like. It's a maybe it is all on the consumer. Maybe it's not the artist to blame, but I don't think we're going to see any of that. At least yeah. not out of these artists. It's going to take a new artist with some skill and some some proficiency, some lyrical proficiency. I think that's going to have to hit the scene. Maybe these these women getting their place on the charts and and you know on radios and things like that. Maybe they will open the door for other lady MCs to come in and then do their thing. You know, like a Rhapsody, yes. for example you know, like not her specifically, but somebody like her, we'll see a new artist come in that can actually do that and fill that void that's there. You know who we didn't but, mention? We didn't even mention Nicki Minaj. <laughs> I, I thought I mentioned her name earlier. Uh, she definitely deserves mentioning because uh, Nicki can actually yeah. rap for real. I mean, we know that, you know, mm-hmm. but, but how much of her music does she really display that level? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's tough, Once man. Like, you have- pop. Once you got into pop, it just started yeah. to kind of water things down a little bit for him. You got to be able to do both, man. Like you have to be able to make the party records that can sell. And, you know, I think to push the culture forward, you know, which is an overused phrase in itself. But, you know, I think we need to have some women out here that are really rapping about something beyond the twerk music. Because, I mean, I'm not saying there's no place for the twerk music, but right. we just need to see more, man. Like, and if if hip hop as a genre is kind of stagnant if not dare say fledgling at a moment and and these women have a seat that they haven't had before i'm gonna need them to do something with it because the greatest compliment we can give them is to treat them how we would treat male mcs right we don't there's no special treatment for them you know we want Mm -hmm. them to be treated equally so we need to start trashing their music like we would trash male mcs music if it's no good you know and if it's fire then we need to call it fire and we need to support it but you know, and I know, you know, Lupe Fiasco is never going to sell the most records either. But, you know, he's got his own corner of the game where people respect the the proficiency that he brings to the table. And I would just love to see that from some of our other female MCs, because I feel like the ball's in their court. I just want them to, to catch it and run with it. And I just I'm just not seeing that. And I think when when we agree that we're not that rap's not in a good place right now. I think they're partially to blame. I'm not saying that they're totally to blame. And again, maybe it does ultimately fall back on the consumer, but there's a, there's, there's a, there's a problem here and, and it needs to get solved in order for us to get the highest quality of music that we can get. Let me move on, man. Uh, I want to get your thoughts real quick before we go to the NFL college football. You talked about how much of a passion that is for you. Coach prime shook up the world like Ali last week. Took down uh, TCU at TCU. Give me your take. What, what, do you, what is your opinion of Coach Prime? What he's doing? What do you like? What do you not like? Yeah, I love Coach Prime. Um, I love what he's done. Uh, I feel like the backlash he got from leaving Jackson State was naive. Um, I feel like anyone who understands college football knew that when he took the Jackson State job, that he wasn't going to be there for a long time if he was successful it's just the nature of college sports and college any job 
you're gonna get you're gonna do well and you're gonna get get a promotion and, and get upward development i love hbcus that's an fcs program so of course he wants to play in the fbs he went to colorado went in and said he's bringing his louis luggage and brought in his own players <laughs> unprecedented stuff uh, and brought his own culture and i that first game was a statement game a statement game for sure I love the swag he's bringing, and I have, ve- I have I have lots of confidence that it's going to be a successful experiment with Coach Prime. What I don't like is the the coded language being used around it, as if people didn't know he could coach, mm-hmm. um, or if, or as if I've heard, people, I've heard people call it a coaching debut, and I'm like, well, no, he was coaching at Jackson State and doing incredible. He just wasn't doing a fine job. Right. <laughs> Did a great job. You just weren't watching. Same with Shador Sanders. His his collegiate debut. Nah, this boy was balling at Jackson State. You weren't paying attention. Same with Travis Hunter. And so I've, I've hated the codedness around it. This whole like, oh, I don't believe Coach Prime's a good coach until he proves it to me. And I'm like, he's proven it. He's proven it. So at this point, what's Colorado's not an easy job. And it's just, it's just one game. So we have to pump the brakes a little bit. Um, I do think TCU is a good program and to go on the road and, and destroy TCU the way they did uh, defensively, you know, just shred their defense was crazy. Um, Nebraska is going to be very interesting because Nebraska is not going to allow Colorado to do what they did. <laughs> They're not going to al- allow all of those passing yards. They're not going to allow them to just run the ball willy nilly. They're going to be a little tighter. North, Nebraska's a struggling program, but Matt Rule, he's going to get that program turned around as well. They've seen the tape. <laughs> they're watching that tape, and they know uh, they're not going to let what Colorado did to TCU happen to them. So it's going to be a tighter game. It's going to be a lower-scoring game. And uh, Colorado, we're going to really see what they're made of in Game 2, but they have the benefit of being at home this time around. I don't believe Coach Prime's going to let them be comfortable. I believe Coach Prime is going to keep that, keep the foot on the gas, and they're going to keep pushing. So I think they got the players for it. I think Shador, I think Travis, I think all those guys he brought in, they have the mentality, they have the shared mentality of Coach Prime. And I'm really excited to see what happens. Who knows, man? I believe it's week five. They play USC. <laughs> like That'll be, be fun. Playing. Shador and Caleb Williams on the same field? We could be looking at a, at a, a good Pac-12 battle. The Pac-12, in its probably last year of existence, it's a pretty deep conference. I mean, all of a sudden, right? Let's see with the quarterbacks: Caleb yeah. Williams, the freshman Dante Moore at UCLA, uh, Michael Penix at Washington. You know, like it's a Shador now. Like Pac-12 is legit. Cam Rising at Utah. They have a lot of quarterbacks, man. It was funny to to see people talk about Michael Penix and Bo Nix in a college yeah. football discussion. In 2023, I'm like, what year is this? Like, them dudes, I feel like been around forever. Like, I feel like they've been around forever. But good on them. I still I mean, remember Michael Penix at IU with the, me with too. The, went over Penn State. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's like that was like 2018 or something. It was, that's what it felt like. I mean, it probably wasn't, but Bo Nix has been around for like legit like six years. I swear. But yeah. um, but no. So to your point about Prime, uh, Colorado ain't catching nobody by surprise anymore. Right. Those days are gone. So the element of surprise they may have walked in there with TCU with. Uh, that's gone. But, um, and I love Coach Prime also. I, I, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of the nineties, right? So it's like the Dion generation, everybody, when I was in elementary school and middle school, we were all mimicking Dion Sanders. He was winning Super Bowls and all that stuff. Like everybody wanted to be like primetime. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up idolizing him. He's one of my favorite athletes, like, like a lot of kids my age. Right. But, um, my big thing was watching how he's carried himself. I don't know that. I mean, like the, the power of, Charisma and confidence, Brandon, I think is unmatched. I don't know if there's anything stronger than that in in human life. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have charisma and confidence, you can go a long way. We've seen it carry people all the way to the White House that probably didn't deserve to be there. We've seen it, yeah. you know, and, and we're seeing it with Coach Prime. Like, he, I'm, the, the idea that he just made that game happen out of thin air, just him. I don't, and I don't mean like just him, like the players don't get the credit to, but I mean like he decided that he was going to go to Colorado and all of a sudden we have a huge matinee game on a Saturday. We have the defending national champion runner-ups. I shouldn't say defending, but the national champion runner-ups hosting Colorado in a spotlight game that everybody's paying attention to that ordinarily would have been a blip on the radar of college football. All these talented guys, 75, 80 transfers, all coming to this one university, including two of his own kids, like two of his own making himself, and shaking up the entire college football landscape. And it was all because of him as a coach. We've never seen that before. And so that power is is um, something to me. But um, having said that, Deion's a little chesty post game, right? You got a little chesty post game. A little bit after the fact, yeah, he, you know, there's a lot of do you believe now? And I get it, man. I get it. And that's how prime time rolls. That's how Coach Prime has always been. So he's going to talk a good game, and he's going to back it up. And that's what makes yeah. him special. And he's going to put his team in a position to where they have to back it up because he's going to keep talking. And I just I, I worry a little bit that um, when they lose, because they're not going to go undefeated, so when they lose – it's going to be a social media firestorm of people coming down on him and then people defending him. And it's going to be cats and dogs living together, man. It's going to be if they lose to Nebraska, that's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, because it's, it's a week right after, you know, all of the, all of the bravado and all that stuff Mm -hmm. after beating TCU. So it's going to get ugly. For him and his players, I hope that his players aren't on social media the night that they lose because then they're going to be going back and forth with people. It's going to get ugly, man. So that's the only thing that I'm a little bit fearful of. Um, I think he did a lot of good at Jackson State. He's faced some criticism for what he did, you know, being there for a couple of years and leaving because I think some people believe that he gave the perception that he was going to stick around for a long time. And to your earlier point, that's really not what this game is. So uh, I'm rooting for Dion. I'm rooting for Colorado. They got a, they got a lot of fans now all of a sudden. Um I want to, and I, I want to shout out Ball State, who's going to be taking on the Georgia Bulldogs this weekend. Oof, uh, good luck. Yeah, right. I don't know what the line <laughs> is on that. It's probably like minus Georgia minus seventy five and a half. Um, <laughs> see, good. NFL, real quick, man. Uh, give me your thoughts on this season, man. Uh, the the game last night, we saw Mahomes and and the Chiefs take an L to the Detroit Lions. <laughs> What what was your take on that? Like, I mean, obviously the Chiefs were down some guys, but some of that is their own doing because they don't want to pay some people. You know what I mean? Uh, Injuries happen to everybody, so they're not going to get a lot of sympathy from folks there. What did you make of it? Yeah, you know, the Chiefs uh, are Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. 
critical, critical pieces needed together. Um, Travis Kelsey having the ability to, to, you know, do a seam route, go down the middle. It's, it's, it's valuable. It's extremely valuable. And we saw that. Um, but I also don't think Patrick had his best game either. There were a few balls he threw deep that were just not it, not it at all. Now it's the first game of the season. So I think that's just going to happen. Um, I don't think there's any cause for alarm for the Kansas city chiefs at all. Especially once they get Travis Kelsey back. But what I do think the clear elephant in the room is they need a wide receiver one. I get that Travis Kelsey essentially is their wide receiver one, but they need a true wide receiver one. It only would help their passing game more if they can have another receiver on the outside who they can utilize utilize down deep um, and even give Kelsey a little little ease up and relief, right? The, and the frustrating part, too, is they've had the opportunity for it. Yes, they did. <laughs> and they've passed several yes. times. They've just said, ah, oh, we're good. Ah, oh, we're good. And last night, come on, Kadarius, Tony. We, we saw why it's important. Everyone needs a wide receiver one, even if you have a great tight end. You need a wide receiver one. So um, I hope that at some point the Chiefs say we need to invest in getting a top receiver for Patrick Mahomes. Once that happens, we all we saw we saw what happened when Tom Brady got Randy Moss. They tore it up. They tore it up. Imagine yes. Patrick Mahomes with Justin Jefferson. Oh, we my saw it. God. We saw it. <laughs> we saw it two, three years ago. He threw 50 touchdowns when Tyreek Hill was there. Tyreke we saw Hill. it. We saw mm-hmm. it. But they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill. So they had to show Tyreek the door. You know, they had to make mm-hmm. some tough decisions. And when you give Mahomes five hundred million dollars or whatever, these are the kinds of things that happen. So I you know, it's kinda like well, let's give some love to the Lions though. You know, I don't want to make yeah. it all about the Chiefs. The Lions are a team that it would be very easy for the Lions to go in there and lay an egg because they've had all this preseason hype. Something they haven't had it probably ever. Um everyone's predicting them to win the NFC North. And to be a playoff team, every year there's a new playoff team in the NFL, and everyone's pegged the Lions as that team. For them to go to Kansas City, to go to Arrowhead, Jared Goff, get it done, pretty impressive. Um, I, I would say that's impressive. I, I didn't uh, – I didn't. well, so, so I, I have some playoff picks, but I did not I – I didn't think that – Detroit was going to be a part of it. And I told myself, you know, because I haven't made my picks public, like I wasn't going to like waver on depending on how that game unfolded. Like I wasn't going to really change my picks or whatever, but I think I may be guilty of it just a little bit with the lions. And I think I'm going to have to put the lions in the NFC playoffs. Uh, Cause I didn't think they were going to make it just because they've got a, a lot of hype in this offseason. They're kind of like the NFC's jets. You know, I think the jets are overrated. I think they missed the playoffs to be honest. But, um, I, you know, I think they're, they're getting all that hype and the hoopla. And it's like, as soon as they lose one game, the whole world's going to come crashing down on them. It's going to get ugly. And that's the kind of environment that usually you don't, teams don't thrive in. Um, uh, but I got to give respect to the Lions for the exact reason that you said, because they, they played like they did, you know, they got down. Um, it looked like they had an opportunity, but it could have folded up shop and they didn't do it. And yeah. to your point, Mahomes. You know, one of those balls was behind Kadarius Tony that he dropped. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't that wasn't an on target throw. One of them was. Now I can't excuse all of them. But and the rest he should have caught. Like the, there was there was another <laughs> way to touch down. I'm like, bro, come on now. You, you said something interesting though. The Jets, a lot of hype around the Jets. I'm also with you. I think they're overblown. 
I get why the hype is there. Aaron Rodgers still is a dog, but he's a declining dog. <laughs> and without a, without a solid offensive line, which I'm really concerned about with them, I'm just not sure how far they can go in that division that is not easy by any means. The Bills are the, are the Bills, who mm-hmm. I still think are a Super Bowl contender, if not the AFC champion this year. And the Miami Dolphins are also a team that are really good. That defense, the Miami Dolphins' defense is legit. And if two is healthy, like, the, the, that division itself is going to be difficult. And the Patriots are nothing to sleep on. I mean, even though they have a high offensively floor. they have a high floor. Be, high floor. Right. <laughs> it's hard to go any lower than what they did. Um, they need to work on that offense for sure. And I, I'm sure that Bill O'Brien's got something going on there. Um, but I... <laughs> Their defense can't be questioned. Uh, they, they're always defensively deep. And they are dogs defensively. Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. That's a tough division. So, you got a Jets, Super Bowl pick for me? You got a Super Bowl pick? On just, just off vibes. Vibes are important. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Bills Niners. The Chris Berman special. Chris Berman special. And then I'm going to go with the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. I have um, been a, a longtime admirer of the 49ers. They, the way they built their team, quarterback aside, I have been uh, talking up on this podcast for years, and I have picked them to win the Super Bowl. Uh, excuse me, more than once. And so I have, <laughs> um, I have a lot of love for the 49ers. Something about them, they just feel snake bitten. Like, I don't know what it is, man. Like, it's part of it's the quarterback thing, but they're always banged up. They're, they're a very physical team, but they're always banged up at the end of the year. I think that they are on the short list of teams that could win the Super Bowl for sure. And I am a Brock, a Brock Purdy believer, unlike a lot of folks. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I have the Eagles going back to the Super Bowl in spite of losing their coordinators and some pieces on defense. I have the Eagles going back and facing the Bills. I think the Bills are finally going to break through like you had them. Uh, I don't think the Bills are a great team necessarily. I just think that they're going to get the breaks this year that maybe they haven't gotten in recent years. It's like you keep knocking on the door, you hang around long enough, mm-hmm. and, and you'll get a break or two like the Utah Jazz in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? You'll get a break, and you'll you'll find a way to get through if you just put yourself in a position to be there. And they have a lot of sweat equity built up in that football team. So, um I'm going to say the Eagles and the Bills with the Eagles winning. I love that um, pick. But there's nobody that I'd rather see in the Super Bowl more than our Cleveland Browns, Brandon. Oh, man. So before we get out of here, what do you think the Cleveland Browns do this year? Tell me all about the Cleveland Browns. Because I got a lot to say about the Browns, but you I'm know, curious about what you think. Every year as Browns fans, we go into the season with optimism and hope, and we have our big predictions. And then by week five, maybe week seven, we crash down to earth. (laughs) However, I'm not sure I've ever been more confident that the Browns are extremely slept on and could be a playoff team this year. Oh, no, they will be, in my opinion. They will be. Only reason why I'm not going to say will is because we play in what I would say is the toughest division in football. I think that 
the Ravens, the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Browns, all four are playoff caliber teams. Every Top to bottom, talent, just through the moon. Top of the AFC type of talent. All four of them. And I just look at, it's all going to come down to how do these divisional games play out? These tough, grinded out, 16 to 13 type of games, right? And that can go any way, right? I can see the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Bengals twice. I can see the Ravens losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers twice. I can see the Browns beating the Bengals, upsetting them this first week one. I can totally see that. The big key factor is going to be this, man. The talent's been there. Talent has been there. The defensive talent especially, okay? But we now have a new quarterback, Deshaun Watson. We all know he looked bad last season. Of course he did. Went two years without playing football. Man, got a whole offseason now. I have seen improvement. I think I think if you looked at the end of last season, you started to see old Deshaun come out. You saw the mobility. You saw the quick release. You saw the arm strength. You, you started to see Houston Deshaun come back out. I am very confident Houston Deshaun is going to be what we're going to see in Cleveland, at least closer to that this season. 4,000 yards passing, for sure. We got receivers, for sure. We got a great run game for sure. I think Deshaun Watson's going to tear it up. They're going to be fighting for playoffs. They're, but the AFC, bro, that's why I'm not going to say it for sure. The AFC is stacked. It is. It is. It's so I, stacked, man. I just, think, I just think this is the Browns year. I think everything has lined up for the Browns this year. For one, they have to do it this year because people's job is on the line. Stefanski's job is on the line. Andrew Berry's job might be on the line. I think that they're... There is some definite like Andrew Barry's job shouldn't be on the line. You said it shouldn't be. No, nah. no, it shouldn't be. But I think, I, but I mean, if they, if the Browns go, you know, what would it be, uh, six and eleven? Like, are, are we sure that he would come back? I, I'm not sure about that. And I definitely think Stefanski would go. And so there's there's that element of it. Beyond that, you have a Browns team that all of the intangible reasons for a football team to come together exists within this football team. Everybody hates the Browns. Everybody hates Deshaun Watson for obvious reasons. Although, you know, I've said my piece on the podcast before is that I don't, I don't believe that people, Deshaun is quite what people make him out to be, but everybody hates Deshaun Watson. Everybody hates the Browns as an organization. They hate that they gave him that money. Um, they hate Jimmy Haslam. They hate that it's set it up so that so that their quarterback might end up getting overpaid, which is not the Browns' problem, but people don't like that, right? Uh, so there's that. Nobody believes in this thing. Everybody's picking them to finish last for all the reasons in the world that don't have anything to do with football. You have the passing of Jim Brown in, in May, right? You have Joe Thomas going to the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame uh, enshrinement ceremony taking place in Canton, Ohio, right up the road. Joe Thomas being the featured person in that the Hall of Fame game featured the Browns this year. You have a fourth place schedule for the Browns. In spite of the fact that they're playing a difficult division, their schedule will, well, we don't know, but their schedule should be slightly easier than everybody else's in the division. You have Watson, as you mentioned, a full season with Stefanski. Uh, he is now relieved of the majority of all of that off the field controversy and stuff that he dealt with last year. 
there's no there's no longer two different offenses being built at the same time, one for Jacoby, one for Deshaun. All the focus is on Deshaun. He's getting all the attention, all the reps, all of everything, right? Deshaun is at a place now mentally, I think, that he's not he's not gonna be carrying that into every single game like he was last year. Then and that and that's all before you even get to the roster. Pro football focus will tell you that the Browns have a top five offensive line. Deshaun Watson, at his best, we know is a top five quarterback. And I believe he will get back there, if for no other reason that, as I've said before on this podcast, Kevin Stefanski was coaching with a straight jacket on when he had Baker Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett and Nick Mullins and Case Keenum and these guys. And he still was getting to the playoffs. The Browns won seven games last year with that mess at quarterback. They won seven games. Okay, and had two or three games come down to a field goal or whatever else that were right there for the taking. So you then you factor in Nick Chubb, best running back in the league, Miles Garrett, best pass rusher in the league. Um, you know, the improved weaponry on the outside with Elijah Moore coming in, Cedric Tillman getting drafted. The defensive line, I think, is going to be outstanding. It's going to be the best defensive line that Miles Garrett has ever played with. I believe that. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson was added to sure up the run the uh, the run game uh, defensively. He was a pro football talks 16th rated free agent overall and the third defensive tackle on the list. That's a pretty good acquisition to go to the defensive line. Shelby Harris, there are some defensive metrics and uh, advanced stats to say that Shelby Harris was one of the best interior linemen in football last year. They brought him in on the humble in July. They added uh, Obaniah Okonakwo from the Texans, who has a great pass rush win rate. They added Zadarius Smith, who I believe is going to be the best pass rusher opposite that Miles Garrett has ever played with. So, um, and they brought in Jim, Jim Schwartz to run the defense, who's a Super Bowl caliber defensive coordinator, which is more important than any, any of that, you could argue. So I, I believe that everything is set up for the Browns to succeed this year. They're going to beat the Bengals on Sunday. They're going to win the playoffs. I believe they're going to win the AFC North, and they're going to go to the playoffs. They're going to win a playoff game. They're going to host a home playoff game. I would not be stunned if they made the Super Bowl. I'm not going to say that they're going to go to the Super Bowl because I know it don't. it typically doesn't happen all in one year like that. That's hard to pull off, mm-hmm. but this yeah. team is ready. And for people saying they don't have the depth, you know, depth is not what won Kansas City the Super Bowl last year. It was, as you pointed out, Mahomes and Kelsey, Reed and Chris Jones. That won the Super Bowl. It wasn't about depth, but you can't find a team that has a better combination of quarterback, running back, number one receiver, offensive line, number one corner with Denzel Ward, and number one pass rusher. There's no better team in football than the Browns, period. So I think it's all sitting right there. Am I, am I starting to convince you a little bit? Are, are we getting there? Are you getting on board yet? No, I, I've always believed everything you're saying. I just, <laughs> I just burn, I've been burned by the Browns so often that I'm fair I'm, enough. I can't I can't go that far yet. That, that's fair enough. That's <laughs> it's a fair tough enough. division, bro. It's a tough one. Tough. That's, one. that's everybody fair improved. Everybody yep. in the division improved this year. Well, I, well, I don't I don't know. I'm not sold on the Ravens, man. I, they got Lamar. That contract negotiation was contentious. They brought in Odell. We know he's going to get hurt again. We know and that. Jay Flowers is a dog. Isn't he like 5'8 and like 190 pounds? I it don't know. matter. That boy can ball. Uh, I, I got to see it. I got to see it. He's a rookie. New he's offensive rookie. coordinator. They but have a more pass-heavy offense. bro. Do, is, is that what they need? Is yeah. that Lamar's strength? Passing the ball? Lamar's been broken down the last the end of the last if couple of seasons. If you give him weapons, I think it could be. 
Lamar has been hurt the last at the end of the last couple seasons. I, the Ravens are consistently hurt. They're hurt right now. I think Marlon Humphreys is already hurt. They're banged up already. The season hasn't even started yet. I'm not sold on them. I'm not sold on Kenny Pickett at all. And I think the Bengals could take a step back. I think they're still going to go to the playoffs, Cincinnati. But I don't see Pittsburgh and Baltimore making the playoffs. So, wow. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know, man. I, I'm here for the hot takes. I don't know. Because I, 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 I can see Baltimore. I can see Baltimore winning the AFC. I, that, it's it's uh, interesting. I, so so we're we're on opposite ends on that one. Like I said, I I don't think I, somebody's going to take a step back. If the Browns are going to take a step up, I don't think four teams from the North are going to go to the playoffs. Somebody's going to take a step back. All I know is that if you dig like Deshaun Watson, like if, if from his 2020 season in Houston, uh, mm-hmm. and this this will be my final point. Uh, the, if you look at his 2020 season in Houston, if he's just 85 percent of uh, so let's say you dock his, his completion percentage. He sh- he passed for seventy percent completions in twenty twenty. If you bump that down to sixty five percent, if you if you make his touchdown total from twenty twenty and his yards come down eighty five percent, he's still looking at the best quarterback season ever, arguably in the history of the Browns. You know what I'm saying? Like part of that is because the Browns haven't had a lot of good quarterback play. But I mean, if you're telling me that he's going to get He's going to complete 65% of his throws, 4,100 yards, 28 touchdowns, and nine picks, which is two more than what he had in, in, in 2020. I mean, that would be among one of the greatest quarterback seasons in the history of the franchise. And so I think that plus the improved defense, I think it's mm-hmm. all going to come together, man. I really do. And it's scary. It's scary. I get it. Like, I get it. I've been yeah. a Browns fan a long time, too. So it's scary to have that much confidence in it. But I have not felt as confident about uh, a Browns team ever. Coming into a season, this is this is the most confident. I I've definitely ever been. feel I definitely feel more confident about this team than many teams of the past. That's for sure. There's there's no doubt about that. I just wish the division wasn't as tough as it was. Yes, uh, that if, I agree with. If, I think all four of the teams in the AFC North are playoff caliber teams. I really do. It's tough. Yeah. Yep, it's tough, man. But um, this podcast was uh long overdue as i said at the top of the show yeah, man. and i want to thank you so much for your time today and your insights uh you didn't have to spend as much time with us as you did so i appreciate you because i know you're a busy guy you got tv shows to host and celebrities to hobnob with man so you just uh found our little low podcast and, and gave us some time man so thank you for blessing us this this afternoon um tell us where we can find you and where we can find your work I yeah, appreciate you having me on, bro. You can follow me online at Bpoke TV. I host the Making Podcast with WBEZ wherever you listen to podcasts, and also uh, Two Bros in a Row is a Bachelor podcast. Um, but yeah, find me on Instagram. I should, I should have my wife on to talk to you about that. There you, you go. Yeah, you, you, you checking out the Golden Bachelor, man? I probably will. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, X, whatever you call it, all of that stuff. Bpoke TV, B P O P E TV. Um, and bpoketv.com launching soon bpoketv.com launching soon I'll be there checking it out man thank you again we'll have you on again sometime in the future uh, many blessings to you keep doing your thing man because you're making a lot of people proud with the moves that you're making out here appreciate you fam appreciate you no doubt this is Jay Hicks with the Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast signing off thank you once again to our guest bpoketv Brandon Pope check us out on X or Twitter or Facebook or just hit up the website, hiphopsportsreport.com. This is the preseason, preseason podcast of the year, but it's regular season football, y'all. We in here. It's time. We'll have at you soon. Peace. Peace.